0: Psalm 133, a song of Ascent of David. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like a precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls upon the mountains of Zion. For the Lord has commanded his blessing, life forevermore. Father, we give praise to you this morning that you have rained down upon us in this congregation. Lord, that your blessing runs through our lives, whether we see it or feel it, we know you're here with us. Lord, we ask you to anoint each one of us with your oil of salvation, with your presence, with your holiness. And Lord, we give thanks to those who serve faithfully day after day. And Lord, for those who are hurting in our congregation, who are in a midst of trials, illnesses? We ask for your healing and your blessing upon them, and restore them to full health. Lord, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And in the spirit of unity, turn to somebody next to you and tell them you're glad they're here.
1: Yeah, do that. Do that. <laughs> Thank you, David. Some of you thought, oh, this church ain't going to be that kind of church, but <laughs> David threw one on you. Uh, that's, that's wonderful. Uh, amen, bro. Thank you for, for, uh, for making everybody in the room just kind of, you know. It's not every Sunday that you're going to get, uh, I, I hate to even point it out, but it will lead me uh, to some, some really exciting things. It's not every day that you get a double dose of me uh, over on singing and then in preaching, Uh, But I blame it on a couple of really, really good and exciting things. First of all, I blame it on Isaiah uh, for, uh, just trying to be appropriate here, Uh, Isaiah and Nadine for uh, this beautiful child that they have welcomed into the world. Um, And of course, with that, we rejoice and we celebrate, um, and it's not a negative thing. So we welcome Isaiah and Nadine back. Um, Isaiah is who uh, leads worship for us every Sunday, and baby Amelia has been with us now for two weeks, right? Two weeks ago yesterday. Two weeks old, and so um, welcome Isaiah Nadine and Amelia, um, and then Jordan is kind of our our, our second stringer. Um, you got the third string today. Our second stringer is Jordan, and uh, we we're, we're rejoicing with him today. His uh, sister-in-law, his brother's wife, is being baptized, um, and they're there with uh, with his family um, at one of our one of our uh, sister churches uh, down in Moore. And so very excited for them. So you got the third stringer today, um, and so. Uh, very excited that you're with us. Um, if you're new with us, welcome uh, to Grace Harbor. It's, it's wonderful uh, to, to see you. Today is a, a great psalm, Psalm 133. Uh, we've been walking through the psalms of ascent. There's 15 psalms of ascent uh, from Psalm 120 to 134, um, and you have caught us on uh, the week before the final psalm of ascent that will that we'll conclude next week before we jump back into uh, the book of Matthew. Um, and so today's psalm is just a Short, simple, beautiful psalm that is meant to be an encouragement um, and 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 an assurance from the Lord about the way that He chooses to bless His people, namely through harmony and unity that they experience together. And so, if you do remember all the way back to Psalm 120, um, you see that these psalms of ascent begin with distress. The psalmist literally says, "In my distress, I cried out to the Lord." And so the psalms begin with this distressing, this distressful situation, um, and in its distress, that from everything we can see, attacks the people of God from outside of them that there are things going on around the people of God that are causing them distress. And in response, the psalmist turns and the people of God turn to God in their time of distress. But by the time that we reach today's psalm, it's such an interesting uh, contrast from the beginning of the Psalms of Ascent to this psalm, because by the time that we reach today's psalm, there is a sense of rejoicing, a sense of peace uh, that is the result of harmony from within the people of God, unity from within the people of God. In fact, uh, we're going to see that in a beautiful way. So this tells us something, this contrast between Psalm 120 and Psalm 133 tells us something significant. It's not the only thing that it tells us um, about Christian unity, but it tells us something significant that there is something distinctly and markedly different about the people of God. There's something different about what marks us and what defines us. And, and, and it shows that, that though the attacks of the outside world may be plentiful, that unity within the church is a weapon against the schemes of the world. Man, isn't that a beautiful truth? We don't gotta take up arms, we don't gotta like go, sometimes there are things that we fight for and that we speak on certainly. But what this psalm tells us is that unity and harmony with one another is one of those weapons against a hostile world, that the world can look in at the unity and the harmony of the people of God and almost be fearful, almost say, What is going on with these people? And so this psalm speaks of the beauty of Christian unity. Look at verse one. It says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. This reminds me of my two year old daughter, Charlie, um, who will find a bug outside. And maybe it's like a tiny roly-poly um, or something like that. But she will come in. She will tell me to come and look, come and see this thing that I have found. And normally it's around that time. Maggie, uh, you know, Maggie is this really interesting character in our family. She's, she's four. Um, she's, she's sometimes very challenging. Uh, but Charlie, in her sweet, innocent spirit, will tell Dad to behold what I have found, come and see, come and look upon what I have found. And Maggie will take it upon herself to squash that thing. Um, and just say, I, you know, I just need to get rid of it. Um, and so it's just interesting the difference in personalities that you have. But this tells us, Psalm 133 tells us that Christian unity is a sight worth seeing. That's, what, that's, what, that's how it opens. Behold. I mean, behold is supposed to draw our minds to, hey, everyone, look at what is going on. Look and see. Come and see what is happening among the people of God. And what it tells us to behold is how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Something can, I don't know if you know this, uh, but but as I have tried to kind of change some of my eating habits and some of my routines and some of those things, something can certainly be good without being pleasant, right? (laughs) There can be good things without it being pleasant. There's lots of things probably in your life that you think, this is good, but it certainly isn't pleasant. Well, the psalmist says here, that Christian unity is both good and pleasant. It is all around good. There is nothing negative to it. It is all around good. And so the scriptures, here's here's the thing. Here's what's so interesting. We're not gonna dive too much into this, but the scriptures do. This is something that we talked about on Wednesday morning in our sermon study, which again, another shameless plug for those of you who wanna wake up early with us on Wednesday mornings. Uh, We meet right up here and we just kind of walk through the text uh, of the upcoming week. But one of the conversations we got into that we thought, let's not spend a whole lot of time on this this week, uh, but the Bible does address it, that there are examples of moments in the Scriptures where there was some level of separation in order to achieve unity in maybe a given mission. Um, for, for maybe for a particular season, we see that between Abram and Lot in Genesis chapter 13 where they say, let's let's go separate ways. We see that with Paul and Barnabas in Acts chapter 15. And so how does that jive with the harmony and the unity that is spoken of here? Well, there's a tension here in the scriptures where there are times where for the sake of gospel unity, there may be people who go separate ways. There may be differing ideas and philosophies of how to fulfill the one mission that the gospel has given to us. But this psalm today focuses in on the positive side of the harmony and the unity that Christians experience, and so to show this, David gives us two really interesting examples. And so, let's look at verse two together. So we're going to read verse one, then we'll read verse two. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity! It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, uh, running down on the beard on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. Does anyone's version say something besides the collar of his robes? What, Isaiah, what's yours say? The skirts of the garments. The of the garments. Is that, anybody else have that? Skirts, the skirts of the garment. All you KJV people, that's right. So, so uh, that, that's interesting. That's something to keep, to keep in mind. David first recalls to mind a way that he shows an example that he gives about the the goodness and the pleasantness of the unity and the harmony that Christian brothers experience together is he gives this example of the oil that is spilled over the head of Aaron. And so what David is doing here is he is recalling to mind a defining and decisive moment in Israel's history. This isn't just some random example and David doesn't just pick it at random either. It's not just like oh yeah I remember that that coal oil. No, David is recalling the people's minds to a defining decisive covenantal moment between God and his people as he compares the blessing of Christian unity to the anointing of the high priest Aaron in Exodus chapter 30. And so as we read and understand the Psalms through this lens of God's covenant with his people, being mindful of the high priest's role in that is significant, The high priest's role within the covenant of God is one of the ways in which God maintains and keeps and shows his covenant with his people. And so Exodus chapter 28 and Deuteronomy chapter 33, or maybe a couple places where you can maybe kind of cross-reference, you don't have to go there right now, we're not going to read them, but those are two texts that will help us to understand the role of the high priest what the high priest did and, and the, the function of the high priest in the, in, the, in the life of the people of God. And in Exodus chapter 30 is where Aaron is consecrated and anointed in, as, as high priest. And so this was a move by God in this anointing of Aaron as the high priest. This was a move by God to ensure and to prove the covenant promises of God, namely that God would provide a high priest so that God's people would experience the presence and the mercy of God through the intermediary and the sacrificial work um, of the priest. That the priest would go in and serve as a mediator and would serve as the one providing the sacrifice so that the people of God could hear from God and, and uh, experience, in a way, the presence of God. And so, David is saying here uh, that Christian unity is as sacred of a space as the anointing of Aaron was as the high priest. Now, that Christian unity is as valuable as the valuable oil in Exodus chapter 30. He's comparing the blessing to the oil that was, again, a decisive, defining moment for the people of God. And so then in verse 3, we see him, we see him build upon these examples. And so in verse 3, David shows us that not only is Christian unity valuable, just like the oil, but it is as necessary and abundant as the dew from Mount Hermon. Let's read verse three. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Uh, if you have a map in the back of your Bible, any of you got these maps that like really you only look at when you just aren't listening? You know, I, I get it. Like I grew up in grew up in church and. I'd be looking at the maps. and It was just a way to kind of kill time uh, while the preacher was talking. Uh, those maps actually can serve you can serve you well. And so if you if you have a map in the back of your Bible, there's likely one. Um, there's there's likely one there that will have Mount Hermon marked. So in mine, um, I don't know if y'all's maps have the same have the same uh, same same ones as mine. Mine mine has the twelve tribes of Israel, and towards the very top. In, 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 your, in your Bibles, it's probably one of the highest points on your page. And so for me, uh, on these 12 tribes of Israel, it's like the last thing before the, the page stops. It's the highest place on the map, um, at least geographically there. And so it's, it's probably one of the, the highest points in, on the page of your Bible. And sits as far north as the map will possibly go with pretty much every other major ancient city just to the south of it, right? So Mount Hermon, On uh, who, who has the map? just so that you have a point of reference. Sorry, I don't have a picture on the screen. I should. Um, If you want to see mine, you can come see mine later. Mount Hermon sits right up here, um, and all of the other important, significant ancient cities sit below it. They they, they sit downward from Mount Hermon. And so if you have that map, you'll likely see a a tiny river kind of outlined from Mount Hermon. You'll see like this bold blue line. Sorry, this is not a geography lesson. It's just to help us understand kind of what's going on you'll see this bold blue line and you'll see it pass through places like Dan and Kadesh. There's a little body of water here and then out of that body of water, it flows down into the Sea of Galilee. And then you'll see the Sea of Galilee, out from the Sea of Galilee, you see the line get even bolder and that's the Jordan River which ultimately lands into the, the, the Dead Sea. So needless to say, uh, this doesn't take too much uh, to, to understand. Um, typically, if you put water On a higher plane, the water goes where? Down to the lower places, right? And so whatever moisture is collected on Mount Hermon is a significant source of nourishment for the ancient biblical world. That's all I'm gonna say about that. Again, this is not a geography lesson, but David highlights the dew of Mount Hermon. And whatever moisture, whatever dew is collected on that mountain serves as a significant source of water and nutrition for the biblical world in these times. In fact, the text says, if you look here, and let me get back here, if you look in verse 3, the text says that the dew of Hermon falls on the mountains of Zion, which we may just understand as Jerusalem, the place where God chose to dwell among his people, the place where God chose for himself a dwelling place. And then, so that we are aware of that significance, David reminds us in the final sentence, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. David reminds us that, the, that Zion is the place from where God has commanded and given the blessing of life forevermore. That's what the text says. So there is so much to be said of Christian unity. Believe it or not, we're we're concluding here. But there is much to be said of unity in the Christian life. There are many reasons for us to explore why unity may not exist. There may be reasons for us, trust me, there are plenty of reasons in the New Testament especially, for us to explore the idea of Christian unity and what that means for the people of God but I want this psalm for us to simply be an encouragement to us today. Just there's a reason why it's three verses and why David doesn't choose to explore all the, the yeah buts and the whatabouts and the questions that may exist about Christian unity. But I will say that recalling the blessing of the anointing, David gets our eyes back on the anointing of Aaron, it should also cause us to anticipate in the biblical storyline the coming of a better and more faithful high priest. As we read this morning in Hebrews, Hebrews is like Hebrews is like the, I don't, words fail me when it comes to understanding the significance of Hebrews and understanding the, the role of the high priest. But as Hebrews will tell us that not only do we look back on the significance of the anointing of someone like Aaron, but we see throughout the biblical storyline that, They are all meant to lead up to and point to a coming high priest who will be the final high priest, the one who is sufficient, the one who is our sacrifice, namely Jesus Christ. It was this high priest, as Hebrews chapter 4 and 5 says, that secures for us the Christian unity spoken of in Ephesians. And so Ephesians chapter 2, go with me there real quickly. This is a whole sermon in and of itself, and I promise I'm not going to get into that. But Ephesians chapter 2, let's just begin in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So this psalm causes us to look back on God's covenant faithfulness with His people. In fact, let me just present propose something to you. That if that if you have any questions on or pushback on, please uh, email Thomas. Okay, and ask him or Kevin. You know, just some not me. Okay, um, but I want to just propose this: that the oil and the dew that Psalm one thirty three speaks of, they were they were both they're both means through which God secures His promise. They're both, they're both means. The oil and the dew are not the things in order for us to, to worship or to exalt, but it's not just about oil and dew, but avenues through which we would experience the presence and the grace of God. That, that we would experience the presence of God. That's what God said, that's what God now says: that harmony among brothers allows us to experience, that there is a special Dose of God's presence that we experience through the harmony and unity with others. And so, God not only makes promises to us, He not only makes God, we, we know that God can create something from nothing, right? We know that God can fulfill His promises in whatever ways that He wants. But what this tells us is that God used oil on the beard of Aaron to just be a means through which he was showing the anointing of Aaron as a high priest so that people would know, I am pursuing you, I am coming after you, I am creating means through which to show you my covenant and my faithfulness. He is using the dew from Mount Hermon to water the place from which God says he will dwell in Jerusalem. And so God can, God can send rain to any remote part of the world, but what he often does is he ordains means through which he fulfills his covenant. And what this psalm is saying is that harmony is one of those means through which we experience the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the presence of God. Hey, the oil in consecrating Aaron was only just a, a byproduct of what God chose to use to set him apart. The rain and the dew was something that God sent so that Jerusalem would be watered and nourished and and given plentiful. And what David is saying, that just as the dew waters the place where God set up his covenant with his people and just as the oil showed that Aaron was set apart, so God uses harmony and unity among his people to show that God's presence is within us. And it's such a beautiful way. Nothing God, again, can create things from nothing, but he often ordains means through which he fulfills his covenant, often referred to as what I like to refer to and understand as means of grace. There are means of grace through which God shows us his promises. One of those means of grace, as we conclude here, is the table, the Lord's Supper. Not everyone enjoys calling the Lord's Supper means of grace, but I most certainly love calling the Lord's Supper a means of grace, not a means of salvation. The, the, the Lord's Supper... The table, the the food that we eat is from uh, Walmart and Aldi. Um, But God uses ordained means through which to show us His grace to us. And just as... God used the oil and the dew from the mountain, so he uses harmony and unity among us to show that his presence is among us, so he uses the elements that we take each week as a way for us to weekly experience and recall to mind God's grace to us through Christ. That though we are sinners, though that we are unworthy, that God has made a way to restore relationship with us, just as he promised to do in Psalm 132. Remember, the people of God are crying out. They want to be in the presence of God, and God is sure to remind them, oh, you will most certainly be in my presence because through the line of David, I will establish a king. I will establish one who you have no doubt is in my presence. And so we come to the table humbled and grateful for what God has done for us through his son, Jesus. And we come as a unified people. We come as though, listen, we've got lots of ideas about lots of things in this room, I promise. Um, in fact, I heard somebody say recently that until you find about eight or nine things that you don't like about each other, you really don't have community yet. Um, and so don't be fault finders, but if you agree with everybody in this room about every everything, then you might not have experienced this harmony that the Spirit provides. Because when it's left up to us, we we wanna just tear each other apart. But this says Psalm 133. Let me just conclude by reading reading the chapter again if you would let's stand. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. If God has promised something, he will do whatever whatever it takes. He will ordain whatever it takes to fulfill that promise, even as Romans 8 tells us, not even by sparing his own son so that we may know this covenant love that God has for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time in your word this morning. Thank you for um, the things that you promise to us, the things that you assure us of, um, the presence of yourself that you provide for us through Christ um, and what he has accomplished for us. And so, Lord, now as we even come to the table, may we, as we come empty-handed, and we walk away with the elements in our hands, may these be markers for us. Markers for us to see uh, the, the, the means of grace that you have used in order to assure us of your love for us, to remind us of what you have done for us through Christ. And it is only because of Christ um, that we are who we are. It is only through Christ that we can experience the true unity that the Bible speaks of and that you in your goodness calls us to. Lord, thank you for this beautiful passage um, and help us to see your grace in it. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.